Hi everyone, this is Christian Lee. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Police Side Escape. It's officially game day, and in Cincinnati tonight, the U.S. will take on Mexico in what is a big game for World Cup qualifying, and more so a huge game rivalry-wise. My buddy Jake Semino and I are going to preview all of that action. But in the meantime, Zach Shalala, Max Heath, and I caught up to discuss the latest episode of Succession. All right, welcome back to the Cleeside Escape. I'm here today with new guest Max Heath and recurring guest Zach Shalala. How are you guys doing today? Good. How you been, Christian? I'm solid. Um, you know, getting into this season of succession a little bit late on the recaps, but you know, better late than never. Zach, how you doing? Doing well. Really enjoyed the last episode, and I just want more and more of season three. Just give it to me. <laughs> All right, good stuff. So, first run at the at the old episode recap here. Thinking we recap some of the main character storylines, and then. I'm going to have these guys just sort of interject with their own thoughts on things in addition to some questions and a little segment at the end. So first, our man Greg starts with Greg the Egg saying he won't betray he won't betray Kendall and Kendall makes a little reference mm-hmm. to to uh, Peter betraying him or Peter betraying him, Peter and the Bible betraying Jesus, which Kendall is not Jesus. That is clear. <laughs> Greg really gets his, so he gets a call from Logan to come to the house, and this felt like Greg's moment. It felt like, what do you guys think? Like, was that the first time mm-hmm. Greg and uh, Logan have had any real conversation related to business or you know, really Greg's position? I'm not sure, but my my theory on Greg, and first of all, we can get to the rum and coke part in a minute, but... <laughs> Which was hilarious, but Greg kind of right now is sort of without even noticing it, kind of being a genius because yeah. he's sort of playing both sides pretty well. And just by his personality, like he's sort of able to kind of cling on to each side effectively. Whereas, you know, the other siblings sort of have had to draw lines like Greg's kind of like just kind of feeling it out. And I feel like he's kind of setting himself up to just jump on whatever ship he thinks is going to win. So. Low-key, I think Greg, as opposed to some of the other characters, is kind of winning right now in that regard. Yeah, I completely agree. I, um, he's just not – he's not putting any skin uh, in the game for either side. It, in the end of season two, I thought he was screwed not taking that quarter of a billion dollars, uh, just leaving, just getting his nose out of the Waystar game. I just thought he was an idiot for that. But now – he's just playing it perfectly and uh, Logan sees him as a pawn. I think he's one of the last pawns that he has in this game, but uh, I just love how he's uh, coming to fruition in this season. He just, he's not taking either side and uh, he's just awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. Zach, that scene at the end of season two where he's like, I, I don't know what, why this like resonates with me, but when he's comes out of the, the, hearing and is like i'm about to lose half of bill because this fucking guy <laughs> like like i feel like we've all had that moment where we're like holy shit this friend screwed me i can't believe i put his <laughs> all my trust in him um and he was exhibiting that in that moment yeah so <laughs> he does the whole i'll take a rum and cup yeah. thing and logan's like can i chug it <laughs> <laughs> can it's we like, get I, like I... a coca-cola <laughs> yeah and then so logan like is ready to play hardball with Greg, who's finally made it to the table, and Greg leads off like, hey, well, uh, what can I get here? And Logan's like, this is not how this works. Gives him the obligatory fuck off. Uh, but even in that, Max, you're right, like, even that awkwardness works to his advantage, because it's like, okay, whatever, we don't really have to worry about Greg. Right. So, moving on to Rome. So, it looks like at the end of it, Greg has an idea of what he wants to do in terms of securing a job at Parks. Um, so moving on to Roman, Roman, I mean, all his ideas tend to be like sort of non-conventional, like smear campaign type things is what I mm-hmm. seem to find. And I think this fits right in with this Bourbon Street tattoo man who they said they went in an iconic bar crawl, which is just just classic, like obnoxious shit with them where they would think it would be funny to do what normal people do. So the guy, they find the guy, but his tattoo is gone and still visible. Roman offers him a million bucks. He accepts. 
they get the pictures, but Jerry ultimately advises him to hold on to his ammo and Roman likes this because Jerry went on a date that day and he feels like her giving him advice is some some good confirmation that they got something going. You guys have got any our, thoughts on Roman? Yeah, I, let this be our little secret, she says, and he just gets his whiskers start to flare up. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what's going to end up that duo. It's like a really interesting part of the show like it almost feels weird. like i don't even know if i want them to like hook up no, I feel I, like it's just like unreal like if, first of all i feel like it's unrealistic and like I, I feel like that would kind of ruin the dynamic for me i feel like like as it is it's at its best how it is i feel like yeah it's just kind of like edging that uh just like that uh mother figure fantasy for him <laughs> and it, I, I i do agree I, I i wanted it so bad in season two but now this like edging just keeps going on in every episode, and it's 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 great to see. Yeah, and then with the tattoo guy, like, I mean, it was a funny, definitely a funny part of the episode. But like, just thinking about it, I don't think, um, like, I don't think they need. Like, I feel like Kendall's pretty much has. He does, at least seems to me like he has like almost no leverage. Like, he seems pretty like over a barrel. Like, I, I don't like. I feel like at this point, like they're in the dominant position. So I don't know. Like, like kind of they were saying in the show. Like, I don't think he needs to be continuing to be on the offensive with Kendall. I think the bigger problem, which we'll probably talk about, is the Stewie and Sandy um, now. But, um, yeah, just my thoughts on that. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I was – so the you, you brought that up about not being on the offensive, but also, as Jerry indicated, you know, Roman was on that bar crawl with him. So it, it was right. – you know, it would be something kind of a suicide bomb situation where Roman's hurting himself a little bit too, but – Maybe he's looking to get in his dad's good graces or something. So I was going to move on to Shiv now before we get to the the big kind of story. But she she also had a big role to play in this one. The kind of opens with her talking to her dad about how he wants to put pressure on the president, which I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the show, I really like the show, but it can get, the narrative can get a little less compelling when it's just, feels like this dysfunctional family and I'm kind of like man I don't really like these people but it gets recentered a lot of times when they mention kind of the like socio political elements of it where they really like control the news and mm-hmm. that really matters like in a country so when Logan brings up the president Shiv really sees an opportunity and what does she do but uh go and abuse basically her punching bag of a husband to go put some pressure on the editorial guy. And then she also has a meeting with Connor, who she's trying to kind of put out fires for Logan. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to get this back to this later in the show, because I thought this was the best quote of the, of the show. But Connor basically tells her that he doesn't want to deal with her. Like, he has his own weird kind of hilarious political agenda, but <laughs> he wants to go about that, like, right with Logan. Um, anyway, so she then like tries to put some pressure on Frank and Carl while they're eating kind of like she it's, and I find her and Roman especially do a lot of saying things without saying anything. And that's basically what she does with them. She walks in there and sort of like plays hard ass and tells them to put the pressure on and they like pretty respectfully are like, yeah, okay. And you just get that sense that she's becoming this whole move she made to get at the top of Waystar maybe isn't going to pan out the way she thought it would. Mm-hmm. So fair statement or not. The reasons that make her a very attractive choice in Logan's eyes are also the exact things that will be her downfall. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, uh, I definitely see that a lot, especially like, you know, watching the first two seasons. Like, right, which kid would make the best successor? There are some points, you know, she's kind of savvy. Um, mm-hmm. She probably seems to be the most like Logan personality wise. So there's points in those first two seasons when you think like for a second, you know, maybe Shiv has what it takes. But I think what you're we've been seeing, especially in the last episode, is that now that she's in the role, that she doesn't have any respect from the people that are actually know the company and work in the company. And I think that's part of the point in this episode. She realizes like, oh, shit, like, you know, there's actually I don't know anything when it comes to, you know, how to run this business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I. I yeah, no, I think that's what we're starting to see, that she's sort of just as much of a disaster as, you know, Kendall and, and Roman have been with, with the company. So uh, what do you think, Zach? 
Um, I, for me, she just has no leverage. Uh, in the beginning of season two, when you know she's uh, becoming more and more likely to become a candidate to take over. Uh, Kendall Bring uh, just threw it in her face that she really just had no position. She had no leverage in the company to begin with. She was just kind of on the cusp. I mean, she was the son of Logan. That's really uh, the only legwork she had. So uh, for me, I just she she's failing to find a position where she can put herself past Kendall. I think Kendall, no matter what he's doing, like at the end of season season two when he started this this whole war i was like there i mean maybe maybe he lost a step but at the same time i was like i guarantee i I saw it playing out where he still was gonna become the front runner and yeah for me she just doesn't have enough leverage to be doing anything of any significance yeah and sometimes it's funny to me like just thinking about the realisticness of the show like just like logan is that just throwing like his blatantly unqualified children into like top roles of this company like i like nepotism is a huge thing um but like i don't i don't know of any examples like in real life where it's so shameless to where like shiv literally has never worked for the company to my to our knowledge and literally their last job was like as a political aid like and just throwing her as like what i think like the president of of uh the president so like I don't know no, made made up position right like they made it up for her yeah but it's like yes but it's like a top or you know a top position and it just yeah. like it's funny to me like I can't think of any examples of just complete shameless like yeah this person's totally unqualified because even in real life I feel like if you you know name your son CEO like he's you know had some type of pedigree so that's part part of the show that I think about uh, a good amount yeah Max I agree with that and kind of as it relates to like roman having any sort of position i mean like he's Uh just especially when that's one thing that yeah totally goes over my head when they talk about like there have been mentions of like yeah roman may have what it takes and it's like what are you watching what i'm watching i like i don't even comprehend where that's coming from i can see where maybe shiv lacks the experience but i'm like i i don't even understand where that's coming from so (laughs) i'd probably argue that shiv's like the most strategic player like that mm-hmm. she's got that tunnel vision like you said that logan has but ultimately she doesn't have that ethos that logan has so right. when, when she walks into that room with frank and carl and tries to boss them around it's it's yeah. basically the same things that are coming out of um logan's mouth but they don't really respect it at mm-hmm. all right i did think she did a good job and this was a great quote uh with the i guess like chief editor of atn when she kind of went and tried to shake him down and he hit her with like a this would be really embarrassing for you if like it came out that you were trying to shake me down and she said well if you haven't noticed we don't get embarrassed i thought that was yeah for all her screwing up that was good (laughs) okay uh just quick on tom he's like down in the dumps he's like (laughs) researching prison food and how he's going to make wine in prison and tries to come to shiv about it instead she like continues to just abuse their marriage. You can't help but feel that like there's a good chance Shiv has this tunnel vision, like completely ruins her marriage and then turns around and has like literally nothing. But Tom, yeah, he's just tweaking. And then he goes and like hangs out with Greg and he's realizing that Greg really is taking it. Greg's playing the good strategic game and it's him. Who's actually looking at prison time. He tells this funny, like, classical Roman story about how this guy killed his wife <laughs> and then and then married, like, this other guy. Uh, and it's yeah. an analogy for killing Shiv and getting with, not literally getting with Greg, but just that he loves Greg and Greg actually, like, treats him decently well. Uh, so that was pretty funny. I'd castrate you and marry you in a heartbeat, Greg. Yep. That's what <laughs> yeah do, um, do we know that like shiv even likes tom at all like i feel like i feel like if tom had like did go to jail like i feel like shiv wouldn't really give a shit she'd be like all right like i feel like i feel like it's a one side pretty one-sided relationship i feel like shiv really doesn't give a shit about tom just kind of like absolutely him for comedic relief kind of like we do but she uses him for so many things and uh, as the episodes go on, I see, going back to Christian's point, 
I see how much tunnel vision she has every every episode. The way she interacts with damn near everybody, especially uh, with Tom. I mean, she just keeps giving him little tasks and um, has him wrapped around his finger. And then, I mean, the the wedding night when she she goes, yeah, I want an open relationship he's not going to back out because I mean, he's always just, he's got that just beta mentality. He's not going to just be like, okay, yeah, the wedding's straight off like there in England. Yeah. <laughs> just straight cucks the guy. And, um, yeah. I think Shiv has just incredible foresight into how it plays out. And um, she, it's, it's kind of rubbing off on Tom. He's kind of uh, on his own kind of, you know, sacrificing himself. You saw him last episode when, uh, he he goes up to Logan and kind of sacrifices himself. He's like, "Whatever you need, man. Like, I'm here for it. I'll I'll take some hits for you." Yeah, yeah. He's, he he has, really has no way to get out of that bottom spot and doesn't do much with it. I, yeah, uh, he's clawing. Yeah, I agree with what you said. Like, it, it's almost like obviously this is a drama. The whole thing's been dramatic. There's been really no peacetime, but. Shiv's had that tunnel vision on for like three seasons and th- there hasn't been one moment where you're like, oh, this is why she married him. Yeah. yeah. You know, you never, yeah, it's, you just, you don't really see it ever. So. Okay. So getting to the big thing, um, which was basically Kendall and Logan fly out to this guy, Josh Aronson, who owns 4% of the company. They fly out to his island to talk to him, uh, kind of about their fitness to run the company jointly which is ironic because it's it's not much of anything between them um, going on so it becomes pretty apparent when they get there that that there's beef they both kind of do their own song and dance about reassuring him and their stories are just so clearly apart from each other uh, that this guy really wants to sort of have a day with them so first thing i noticed when i rewatched this there's a scene where his daughter, who is like quote unquote sick, like jumps in the pool. Pretty, pretty clearly to me, at least. Did you guys think that the whole like his daughter's sick? That's why he wanted them to fly yeah. out. That was probably just a setup. So yeah, my my thing with this is I think like you know being a four percent shareholder with Logan, he's probably so used to you know Logan being the boss and um, from that old land. I think for him, like even the uh, the blatantly, like I think he didn't even care that they saw his daughter in the pool. Like I think it was just he him real. I think he made had already made up his mind and didn't even need to talk to Logan and Kendall. I think it was just like a power play by him to be like, "Fuck you guys! Like you're gonna come to me and I'm gonna make you, you know, through this whole path and then eat steamed clams in the middle of this hiking trail." But yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think it was just him totally just taking advantage of the power, the newfound power that he had. Uh, and, and my biggest question with this character is like, what do you what do you think this guy like? He's obviously you know mega wealthy. Like, what what do you think this guy's deal is like? I, at first, I was like, is he probably like a tech entrepreneur? But then like, why would a tech entrepreneur randomly have like a four percent stake in an old like news conglomerate? I don't know. Could it be like family wealth. What, what do you guys think? Like, what do you guys? We'll probably learn more. But what do you think like his backstory is or his like profession? I think he, him and Stewie are gonna play. A huge role in every episode leading out of season three. He sees the weakness. That was just a complete uh, start to finish chess game, having them out on their property and uh, or out on his property. And Kendall getting there early, trying to like uh, swoon him before Logan gets there. And that's the scene where uh, Logan shows up, and uh, you know he he jumps from Kendall's attention right to Logan, and they're just chumming it up. He he's reading their weaknesses. He he saw he saw what he needed to see at that lunch, like the way they acted together. Their stories were you know completely apart from each other. And I think him and Stewie are just gonna pounce. You know, uh, you you brought up him being maybe just like a tech guy, but I think he sees an opportunity to just completely take over. Uh, they're going to take a bunch of hits, but I mean, he's got a lot of skin in the game. I think he said what he had like 350 million tied up in uh, Waystar. Him and Stewie are going to pounce. This is their time. And he, he saw everything he needed to see. And uh, yeah, he's just ready to pounce. Yeah, Max, I, I guess, I mean, he, he definitely appears to be a little bit of that crunchy granola, which might lead you to think he's sort of like a tech guy. I, I do, do, he did point out, that he could financially engineer 
um, mm-hmm. yeah. something related to the business in response to, I think what Logan was suggesting about like the business fundamentals. So maybe that kind of suggests that he just has a background in investing in general. And this is something that he, you know, as Kendall indicated, he probably hates the vibe of Waystar in general and Logan and what he stands for with the, the news itself, but probably is just happy to have kind of got his piece of pie. So other question about his motivations, but this one felt a little less clear to me. Do you guys think he was, obviously he was stringing them along in general, taking them out to his island and then, you know, frying clams and stuff. Do you think he was intentionally trying to fatigue Logan into a situation like that on the way back? Because there was a couple of moments that might've indicated that Kendall was like, I think we're going to the ocean. And then at some point, uh, Josh says, yeah, this is the short way, but sometimes it just takes a little longer, which that just really does not make any sense. So what did you guys think? Yeah. I think he was definitely trying to, trying to create some sort maybe not like as drastic as it ended up being, but I think trying to create some sort of a situation. Um, and I think it worked perfectly because I think there's that one point when like Logan started getting, you know, tired and like took a knee and, and Kendall was still, and I remember he went like, dude, dude, your dad's like falling down and you're still trying to pitch me. Like, I think that was sort of the point to show that like, they don't, Kendall doesn't give a shit about his dad that, you know, even he wouldn't, even when he was, you know, looked like he was dying that he was what didn't even care and was just sort of still pitching his vision so yeah i i do think it was somewhat um intentional because you know he does try to come off as like this kind of easygoing like whatever guy but he's just by the way the whole thing was set up he's incredibly calculated just with um the way he thought it through i think with in the steamed clams you know ordeal in the whole middle of the hiking trail so i i think and he's really interesting character because uh, he does seem like a really sharp, strategic guy, but he doesn't try to portray that at all. This person, Max, who, who did you compare him to? I know you brought this up uh, in our group chat, but I, I actually didn't catch the reference. Who did I compare him to? Yeah, Josh, you said he was. Uh, you referred to him as a character that was like like a celebrity or something like that. Oh, or maybe it was this was the actor that plays him. Yeah, it, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, Adrian sorry. Brody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, but yeah, no, he's a. I, I really hope you see a lot more of him because he's a definitely seems like an interesting character. All right. Uh, so, yeah, and like you said, he was calculated, sort of turning the screws. I especially felt that he was really giving Kendall every chance to back down, Logan every chance to kind of show his hand a little bit more, and then Logan hit him with a "everything's going to work out," and he responded, "All right, listen, buddy, I have a gun to your head. You're going to need to show me something way better." Like. He was really giving giving them every chance, but uh, eventually really turned the turned the screws and seems like he saw what he wanted to see. So, what was your guys' favorite quote from the show? God, there were so many, so many. <laughs> I mean, the Greg Rum and Coke. You want me to chug this sequence? Was just electric. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, it's probably the you want me to chug this. <laughs> Yeah, that that was fantastic. I thought uh sorry if I put you on the spot there with the quotes, but uh No, you're good. My, I was I was waiting to fire mine up. All right, cool. My favorite was and I thought this was like I liked this quote because it really encompassed what Shiv is going through in terms of lack of respect. And when you're getting disrespect from Connor, who's just for all intents and purposes like pretty worthless, uh, you know you're you're struggling and Connor hits her with like a Remember when you used to play post office and you would stamp all of the mail on its way into the house? That's kind of what this is, Shiv, right? And <laughs> yeah. uh, really just kind of putting her down <laughs> when she kind of doesn't need it. So I thought that was a pretty good quote. My favorite quote was when uh, when they had the conference call and Kendall's up uh, in his apartment. And he goes, uh, gang's all here, huh? It's like the fucking Sergeant Peppers of a uh, broken corporate America. And it's, just, it's, just, it's just all the old heads that are in the, have been in the background for Waystar and, you know, Josh and Stewie coming out. And I don't know that. I just love that. Cause I mean, it's just like perfectly executed, like Sergeant Peppers, like the whole like return of the alter ego of the Beatles. And it just, it was awesome. Very well written. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. 
best scene for me was also the the Greg rum and coke. I, I, that really just felt like his coming out party. That um, was unbelievable. Yeah, and just I that that almost felt like I know you guys have both Max. You finished Ted Lasso, right? Yeah. The scene where Roy Kent is like, Keeley's like, yeah. Uh, what if you get hit by or what if I get hit by a bus and or what if you get hit by a bus and Roy's like, avenge me. Like it's like the characters <laughs> like funny parts of that character like dialed up to the way extreme greg <laughs> asking for a rum and coke in that situation yeah. felt like the most extreme greg moment you could possibly order up yeah that's a good comparison because they're i mean roy ken's obviously a completely different character but the same in the way that their their attraction like what what's great about them as a character is dialed up fully like they're, yeah. it, it's to a ridiculous extent but yeah no i agree favorite scenes for you guys Max, you want to go um yeah i mean the rum and coke scene uh obviously my favorite it was electric great greg moment um yeah that'd probably be it for me uh for me i think when logan and kendall get done at josh's estate and roman rings kendall about what was going on and you know they get the the other kids get wind of what happened and him like falling down and damn near going into cardiac arrest and Roman's just on the phone chewing him out. Uh, and he goes, he goes, do you have a fetish for nearly killing dad? Like just the tip, <laughs> but for like killing dad. And it, that, that was like just classic Roman just going in with his, just like his crazy analogies and uh, just shitting on Kendall and, and just the most perfect execution of all time. And, yeah, that was my favorite part for sure. Did you guys? Did that resonate with you at all? That he was like somehow intentionally leading. It, it didn't. It seemed like Josh was in total control the whole time. I didn't really. Maybe there's something kind of read read between the lines there that that information got back to them that it was all Kendall's fault. But for me, it didn't feel like Kendall was pushing that. No, not at all. I think Josh was just pulling strings. He was complete puppet master. Like I said. Um from start to beginning he i didn't really think i was a little skeptical of what was going on i i was uh because when you first start, uh when you first watch it that first take it's like oh shit uh kendall and logan are talking for the first time they're seeing each other in person for the first time mm-hmm. you know kind of since this shit has gone on and been in a situation where they kind of need to come together with no preparation with no groundwork whatsoever and so at first view, you're like, okay, shit, I need to focus on like all these little things between them. And then you go back and you reassess and watch it again. You realize it from Josh's perspective that he's just in total control and he's aware he knows exactly what he's doing. The walk back makes so much more sense because it shows Kendall, tr- Kendall's true colors uh, back to Max's reference when he says, your dad's like, he needs help. And you're like, stop fucking pitching me, man. Like, like take care of your dad. And he's just like, okay, well, just from that, I can tell that Kendall would rather see like his dad die than like him work another day as CEO. And yeah, just rewatching it again and assessing it from kind of Josh's perspective um, just made things a lot more clear. That was my exact takeaway, Zach, honestly, like, like that excitement over seeing those two together, but having seen it again, it was way more about Josh. All right, well, this was a blast. Thanks, guys, for doing this first episode of Succession. Hopefully, we can catch the rest of the season. Um, it's a great time. And, yeah, cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. Thanks, Christian, again. Appreciate it. All right, welcome back to the Cleeside Escape. I'm here with my good friend and former roommate, Jake Semino. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. This is my uh, first podcast appearance, so... A little nervous, but excited to be here. <laughs> excited, but a little nervous. Jake, you are probably the, the biggest soccer fan I know. You upstage me in many ways. But what I would say is that there's many different ways to skin a cat when it comes to soccer fandom. And I think you and I have kind of similar interests in terms of liking club soccer. But is it fair to say that what you want to most see is some serious international success for the U.S.? Oh, I mean, 
definitely coming off the uh, disappointment of us not making the World Cup last time around. Um, that was arguably the biggest disappointment of my of my being a soccer fan so far. So that was definitely tough to see. And since then, we've had a lot of promising young players, you know, a lot of people playing in Europe now, a lot of big names on the come up. So I definitely have enjoyed watching them develop over the last couple of years. And especially during this World Cup qualifying window, seeing what a lot of these young players are made of. So it's been it's been fun to watch, but I'm definitely really excited for this uh, big World Cup qualifier against Mexico. That's going to be a big test for them. Yeah, I mean, it. it it's interesting, right, because ultimately it's the big rivalry game. Um, it's a game where, unlike any of the other opponents, this opponent's really going to test us in terms of really being up for it, being – where it's a case where their players often, on paper at least, provide a really close match to us, which hasn't happened lately in Concacaf. But yeah, this should be this should be one where we we see what we're made of, even if it doesn't necessarily prove to be the most important game in terms of the points and the table and whatnot. But uh, likewise, very important the U.S. gets something out of this game. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying about Mexico really going to want to come out for this game because after this last summer when we beat them for two separate trophies after, you know, recent history, besides this summer, Mexico usually has dominated the U S so this summer was pretty big for us. And we were able to actually do some, some talking to the Mexican, the Mexican team. So they're definitely going to want to get some revenge on us for that. So question for you, it was obviously a pretty sweet summer that, the Nations League win, which, of course, wasn't really a thing until very recently, but we win that trophy. That was really nice. If you had the choice, would you rather have that great summer with the two wins, including the second one, which was equally really cool to see us be such an underdog, but at the same time, maybe we weren't, we didn't have everything at stake in the, in the way you would normally in this rivalry? So given that, the option between winning those two or winning this game on Friday, which would you rather have? Oh, geez. I have to choose one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> this is a hard hitting podcast. I'd say I'd probably choose the two summers or the two trophies from this past summer. Um, just because I mean, a game against Mexico with a trophy on the line, like, definitely doesn't get bigger than that. Meanwhile, with this next game coming up, obviously it's going to be pretty important, but in the end, if we lose it, there's not a whole lot at stake. We still have chance to come back and get some points against some other opponents. Um, so I think being able to rob a trophy from Mexico two times, will will take the, the win here for this decision. Both games were pretty epic too. So it's a little bit hard in retrospect to be like, yeah, mm -hmm. no, I didn't, you know, I'll, I'll take the other thing. So definitely, definitely feel that. Uh, good segue. I, I don't like Mexico in terms of all the teams. You know, I, I don't like USC. I don't like the Steelers. There's some teams. Mexico is right up there on that list for me. Some mm -hmm. serious dynamics that really feed that feed that fire. Number one being they consistently kind of little brother us. This summer was a big exception and it was nice. And there's also been some good history with the U.S. of winning uh winning huge games like in the world cup when we beat them dos acero but i mean for, I, I remember hanging out with you watching games at in, at school our freshman sophomore year and there were some serious beatdowns so mm -hmm. it, we often get played as the little brother and then just the dynamic of soccer they're up beating us normally and as the game goes on as it wears into injury time they, there tends to be a lot of flopping uh Maybe some like what I like to call like push fights where they, you know, they instigate. And a lot of times, to be fair, the U.S. like retaliates when it's in their best interest to just keep playing. But the games get ugly, just like this past game in the Nations League. That one got real ugly. Finally, the, the fan base is the last thing that fuels the fire. I think the most frustrating thing as a U.S. soccer fan is it seems that no matter where we host the game, it ends up being like overwhelming majority Mexican fans 
and that that's so frustrating. So hopefully having it in Cincinnati will be a decent turnout for the U.S. at this new stadium, but they always surprise me with how well they travel. So I, I'm not holding out too much hope, but would be nice for once. That's for sure. Yeah, let's see if we can make it through this game without uh, threatening of being postponed because the fans are throwing bottles onto the field, not the players. <laughs> <laughs> that does tend to happen. Hopefully, yeah, Giorena got hit by that one last time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, soccer previews. I, I'm not, I love soccer reactions. That's a big reason I wanted to do this podcast, but not much of the soccer previews. I do think it's different when it comes to the men's national team. You know, they had a month to play for their clubs, really try out basically to be in this starting 11. So some lineup news that we already have before getting into what you want to see from the lineup. Christian Pulisic is out. I think you and I are both okay with that. He's obviously has not played a full 90 at Chelsea since coming back from his injury. Tell me if you agree with me here, but the way I see it, it's important to have him on the field at the end of this game. If it's tight, the last thing you want to do is take him off and kind of give Mexico that mental edge of, oh, there goes their Champions League winner. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And his manager, Tuchel, has been public about wanting the U.S. to be pretty smart with his minutes and not wanting to abuse that. And so I think it's – well, now it's confirmed he's not starting. It was always safe to assume that he was never going to play a full 90 minutes against Mexico. Um, But, yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. Usually when he's been out, we've been okay up top with someone like Brendan Aronson coming in, and he's been super consistent for us, and he um, is always performing at a high level. Um, So, uh, yeah, I would definitely think that in a game like this, it's going to be very important to have our superstar in at the end, uh, give him a chance to, to work his magic. And, you know, the uh, the opponents are going to be trying to give him a hard time and try to rough him up a little bit coming from an injury. But uh, he came up pretty big for us against them last time in the nation's league. So I think it'd be important for us to have him on the field at the end of this game. Yeah, and the, the other piece of news, in addition to Plusik, was that Zach Steffen will be the goalie tomorrow. Um, that's something I'm in favor of. I didn't really see this take flying around my U.S. soccer Twitter, which is always mayhem uh, during these international windows. But I really felt that during the Costa Rica game, Steffen added just a swagger on the ball and a kind of coolness that – you know, Matt Turner does a really good job, but even in doing a really good job, he doesn't always strike me as somebody who like, can play with the ball super well. Um, and so I'm really in favor of Stefan going forward, uh, despite the fact that I think Turner's awesome and he's great number two. What, what did you think of this call? To Besides Greg just coming out and saying it, what do you, what do you think of this decision? I was honestly pretty surprised when I heard it. I thought Turner was going to be starting just because – um, consistently throughout the World Cup qualifying window, he's usually been the number one just based on the fact that he is getting consistent minutes with his club team. Um, but I definitely agree with what you're saying about Stefan being a lot cooler on the ball. Um, Turner can definitely stop shots just as good as any other U.S. keeper. But if we want to build out of the back and possess the ball, he's probably not going to be the most comfortable end goal doing that so I'm not I don't know how I feel about this decision honestly I would have been okay with Stefan or Turner um, they each bring their own different strengths but yeah I think Stefan will definitely have something to prove sitting on the bench a lot for both the U.S. and Man City so he'll want to come out and and have a good performance yeah so obviously there's these dynamics of Stefan not playing for his national team uh, Turner having played for the U.S. all summer and really doing well at that. If you put those dynamics aside, like every, everything else, in this game in particular against Mexico, would you rather have somebody who can – and obviously these two goalies fit the bill, but would you rather have a goalie that can you know make the big saves or do you think it's more important that we have somebody who can you know move their feet and play with their feet better? That's a tough one. I think – I think I would probably prefer 
if I'm being totally honest, somebody who's going to be able to save the big shots and who has been playing consistently as of late. Because, um, I don't know, especially with some defensive decisions, some decisions that Greg Berhalter made in terms of, you know, leaving Brooks out of the lineup. Um, there's going to be just a question on the center backs playing together, like who is going to be the duo for that. And if they've played together before and how well they're going to be able to do, I think we might be um, open to a couple of mistakes, in which case we're going to want a keeper who's going to be on his toes and ready to go. So I think if it were my decision, I probably would have taken Turner just based on the fact that he's been playing lately and he is a big shot stopper. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely hear that. I almost have this like romantic view that the U.S. is going to be able to pass the ball against Mexico. But if it's, if it's anything like last time, we'll be down early and street fighting our way through the game. So right. <laughs> uh, good kind of segue here to the center back situation. I talked about it in my last podcast, but the John Brooks situation, you're, you're not a fan of keeping him at home. No, honestly, I don't like that decision at all. I mean, he definitely has been a little shaky for the U.S. He's had some pretty below-average performances lately, but he is – I mean, he's someone who's considered a veteran for a lot of these young players in, in a young U.S. squad. Even though he's only 27 or 28, he's still a lot older than most of our young talent, and he's – really a leader that a lot of these people look up to. So I think just to completely leave him off the roster is a little harsh, especially if you're still going to bring in someone like Mark McKenzie, who also usually doesn't play very well for the U S and is also not playing for his club team at all in Belgium. Oh, I didn't Uh, realize that. Yeah. He, Mark McKenzie, as far as I know is on the bench most weekends. Wow. So it doesn't make sense, dude. Yeah, I don't like the decision at all, but Brooks was pretty mature about it. He made a public announcement, you know, saying he knows that his U.S. performances haven't been very well so or haven't been going well so far. Um, But he's been getting consistent minutes for his club and in the Champions League, and he's ready to just keep working hard and getting his spot back. So with that being said, who do you want to see at at those center backs? I guess you and I can – Sort of go position by position on our on our preference here. Yeah, I I don't know. I have there's three people, definitely not Mark McKenzie. I honestly don't know if I have a preference for the two, but I definitely just want to see Miles Robinson, Zimmerman, or Chris Richards. But honestly, I'm not too sure exactly which two I want. Yeah, I I went with Richards and Robinson, but I would kind of echo those statements. So. At right back, what are you thinking? I mean, I want to see Scally in there. I know that he's 18 years old, hasn't had a a cap for the U.S. quite yet, but, I mean, he has been locking it down in Germany. He's been playing very well every single weekend, pretty consistently. So I think it'd be a great opportunity for him to, to come in and show us what he's got, but I mean, in in the past, Greg Berhalter hasn't really been kind in giving new new call-ups who are pretty young a, a start on their first game. I think, I mean, last window he played Buzio and Hoppy for like maybe 10 minutes, and, and that was it when they probably should have deserved a little more. So I don't know if he will end up going with Scali just because he's young and doesn't have any World Cup qualifying experience. I think he's going to end up picking Yedlin, but I would like to see Staley back there. Yeah, so I, I agree with a ton of what you're saying, um, and it, it'll probably – it may depend on how both of our lineups shake out, but that was totally the train I was on until I saw the news today that Pulisic will be out. Ultimately, I do think Scali is just a better matchup against Chucky Lozano, but I do feel that you need some sort of veteran presence. and. Mm-hmm. Yedlin, while, you know, maybe not amazing, still provides some. I mean, it's not – it's better than, say, like Tim Ream where you feel like you're really putting a liability out there. Uh, so I'm I'm hopeful that Yedlin can be out there and kind of be a 
mature leader, I just ultimately couldn't get past not having somebody, you know, younger than like 22 on the field. So other than Stefan, so uh, that that's what I went with Yedlin. Although I, there are so many good reasons to choose Scally. So uh, left back, are we thinking Jetty Robinson? That one's probably nailed on. Yeah, it's got to be Robinson. I don't see any reason why Sam Bynes will start this game. Uh, are, we, are we thinking a four-three-three here then? Yeah, I think we'll go four-three-three. I mean, in the past we've tried to do the the three center backs and then two wing backs, and then ended up switching back to a four-three-three by the time the game ended. So I don't think we'll make that same mistake again. Yeah, by the by the time Sergio Dest has been dusted on the on the right wing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so tell me about your what you want to see from that midfield three. All right. So we absolutely need to see McKenney and Tyler Adams in there. McKenney has been performing really well for Juventus lately. He's been scoring a couple goals. He's in some flying form going into this window. So you got to start him. And anytime Tyler Adams is available, obviously he's got to be the first name on the team sheet. Really, he just kind of holds this midfield down and we're usually pretty wide open when he's not in there. Um, so you got to see McKenney and Adams. And then the third spot, I think I would want to see Eunice Musa. I think he showed out a lot during the last window. He's looking pretty dangerous, you know, running with the ball. I liked a lot of what I saw out of him, but I can see people making an argument for Buzio because – I haven't been able to watch any of his club games, but from what I've heard, he's been consistently getting 90 minutes and doing really well. So I could see people wanting him in there, but I think if it were me, I would choose McKenny Adams and Musa. Yeah, you totally threw me the alley up there. Uh, I kind of want to see Buzio. I've been watching some of his games, and he, he's looked sharp and he's looked better um, than when he was – you know, kind of coming in and out of that team early on. The other thing for me is just Musa. you know, he's played the center mid for the U.S., but sometimes gets deployed as a winger for Valencia and has been a little spotty with the playing time. So I kind of – I watching Buzio, I've, I've seen him get stuck in a little bit more, which is something I think we're really going to need against Mexico. And ultimately, although he hasn't played in what I would consider like a huge game for the U.S., he did get valuable experience in the Gold Cup, which was really what that was all about, getting you know guys experience so that they could be relied upon in this World Cup. So I kind of see Greg maybe putting his money where his mouth is and starting him uh, in this one, and I think that would be kind of a cool move in terms of personnel. So the other spots. At striker, we're thinking Pepe. That's nailed on. Yeah, it's got to be Pepe. I mean, he's – Who's the other striker? Yeah, that it's that other guy. Herrera, on his team. I think is his name. Yeah, so that's not even for us to debate. That's just pretty nailed on. Yeah, honestly, I don't know too much about that other Pereira guy. I think he has like two caps on his name. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't tell you the first thing about him. So it's got to be Pepe up top. Would you have liked to see like even a guy like Sargent come in? Like just somebody or even DK? I was thinking DK. Honestly, Sargent. I don't care for him anymore. He has just been a big letdown recently. I mean, given he plays for Norwich, who are at the bottom of the Premier League, and he's probably not getting – he's really not getting too many chances there. But lately when I've seen him at the U.S., he's just been a big disappointment. Just not really – doesn't look exciting, doesn't look into the game, not really making things happen. So I don't care too much for Sargent, I think – Pepe's going to be our lockdown striker no matter who else is in the team with him. Cool. So, Wings, what are you thinking? It's got to be, for me, Brendan Aronson on the left and Tim Way on the right. I will be heated if I see Areola in that lineup. Dude, and... <laughs> that, that you know, the what, what was the first thing that popped in my head today when I saw that Pulisic news was, oh, gosh, he's, he's he's setting this one up. He's, like, trying to, you know, absorb the blow a little bit, tell you Pulisic's not good. So <laughs> you would have been pissed if Pulisic wasn't in, potentially. And you're going to be even more pissed when you see it's Areola. So I really think he's setting this one up. Yeah, I mean, Areola was listed as the starter 
for all three games last window. Um, I mean, I don't wish injury upon anyone, obviously, <laughs> but he uh, he hurt himself in the warm up for the third game, and Tim Way came in, and that's exactly who I started. Um, but as unfortunate as it is, I think Ariel will be in there, and and I, and then it'll be Brendan Aronson with him, probably with Wea coming in as a sub. But that's not what I want. I want to see Aronson, Pepe Wea up top. That'll be our most dangerous lineup. Yeah, it looks like we got that the same front three there. So it'll be it'll be interesting to I don't know the Mexican personnel too well, but you're gonna have to deal with Raúl Jiménez, who's been good for Wolves recently, and then uh, Chucky Lozano on the wing, who's ever dangerous. So, mm-hmm. what are you thinking overall? Uh, game in Cincy Friday night. Really should be an electric atmosphere. I have a couple of buddies who have been on the pod now headed to the game. Uh, what are you thinking in terms of a score prediction? Yeah, I think both teams, I think, will have a hard time breaking each other down. I think most likely it will be low scoring. But I think I'm going to go with a 1-1 prediction on this one. I think there's going to be a defensive error by the U.S. taken advantage of by Mexico. And then I'm hoping maybe Pulisic can come in the second half and work some magic and help us get one back. So I'm going 1-1, final prediction. So, unfortunately, I've – Greg is he's getting he's been getting along and I I just don't know how much longer that goes. You know, he got two great wins in the summer, but I'm worried about this one. I do think the team has proved that they'll bounce back, so I, I do anticipate winning in Jamaica uh later in the week, but I'm I'm feeling a little pessimistic, especially cuz I don't think he's he's going to do what you and I said with the lineup. I think it's very unpredictable and often you get random MLS guys in there, so I'm feeling pessimistic, unfortunately. I'm thinking a 2-1 win for Mexico. I think they're going to be just so hungry to to get back at us, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, honestly. I think I could have even been being a little optimistic, saying that we can get a 1-1 draw. But, yeah, you're right. Mexico is definitely going to be hungry, wanting to come out. So I wouldn't be surprised if they came away with it. Yeah, hopefully they – but – Either way, I'm I'm going to be pumped. It's going to be have that big game feel to it tomorrow night. So that'll be sweet. Well, Jake, thank you for joining me. This was a blast. And uh, hopefully next time I talk to you, we will be seeing a six-point window out of, the, out of the U.S. So appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Going to be a good game tomorrow.